Hello and welcome. This is the Ultra Working Podcast. I am Chris Natterer and I am joined today by our backend engineer, Zad Zafar. Zad, welcome on the show. Good to have you with me. It's good to be here, Chris. Uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, we've been discussing this for a while. Finally got some time in my noisy environment to be here. Exactly. And, and the, the topic of today's show is uh, how to work in a noisy environment. And as we discussed the show, we, we realized that there are a number of different um, definitions for noisy. Noisy can relate to, well, the most common is just the sound scape you can work in a noisy soundscape with like lots of you know constructions or crying babies or a, a rich flora and fauna in some other cases rich flora and fauna is an interesting way to put it <laughs> um it can relate to a noisy environment visually lots of different factors going on i think in a you know in a big office space that's certainly a factor just seeing people walk around and having your eye being able to fixate or get you know attention drawn to something else and then thirdly noisy can also mean that you have a lot of stuff internally going on for example lots of different projects that kind of all uh, require a certain amount of space in your in your attention and yeah for all of these there are some interesting potential strategies to deal with them that we're hopefully going to get on uh, today um, yeah let's start with the first one You certainly, every once in a while when we're on a call, like there is some, there's quite a bit of noise happening in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I'm not sure if I've got headphones on, we'll talk about that later. But is there any noise? Uh, well, it's pretty quiet right now. Uh, maybe there'll be something. There's construction happening outside. No, I think right now it's fine. I'll let you, I, would, I mean, it would be kind of even fun if, if there were some. Maybe we'll, we'll get the chance and pick, pick up some of the, the stuff that we sometimes... Uh, here in the background. But uh, yeah, um, strategies to dealing with that. There are some obvious ones and then maybe there are some less obvious obvious ones. Like, yeah, maybe um, how do you think about it? How do you approach approach it? Okay, so, so it's, it's a good thing you, you like you define, uh, you know, at, at the start that their noise can, you know, can be external, which is pretty much obvious. And then you have internal noise, which will get to uh, in a bit but yeah let's start with external noise you know uh, that's pretty much standard like could be environmental noise like you wherever you're sitting if if you're not at home let's say you know a lot of people uh, tend to work from coffee shops or you know cafes or even co-working spaces where you're sitting in like a bullpen kind of area and generally there tends to be environmental noise in areas like that people are talking moving about uh, and that's just audio-based noise, there's visual noise as well. There's, if someone's walking in your field of view, uh, your instinct, natural instinct is, especially if the movement is erratic or fast, to look up from what you're working on. That's your standard instinct. And that can be a huge distraction if it's like happening over and over. And even a second of distraction can you know, sometimes take you 15, 20 minutes to reorient yourself from what you're working, especially if you have like mathematical equations or you know, a piece of uh, code where you need a lot of uh, mental context loaded. So, like, the strategy that I have, the standard one, is, uh, you know, the first thing is invest in a good pair of uh, active noise cancellation headphones, ANC headphones, like, uh, the AirPods are really good, the Sony headphones, Bose, some of these higher quality ones that, the, what you're looking for is active noise cancellation, not passive. Like, passive is just, like, over headphones that use the foam and stuff to, like, block out sound. ANC is doing some cool things with... Uh, external microphones where it picks up, you know, the chatter from the environment, so to speak, and um, sort of cancels that out with the canceling audio waves. Like, it's, it's a very cool thing. You, uh, I think we can uh, talk about that. I think, Chris, you would be uh, better at explaining how ENC works being the engineer uh, here. But, uh, yeah, that, that, not getting too much into the technicalities of uh, uh, ENC headphones. But they, they're pretty good. They... If you haven't tried them before, I definitely recommend that you do. Uh, a good pair can block out like weird sound from your background. You can have, like you said, crying babies, people talking. The moment you have them on, it just blocks it out. And 
that, that that's a great thing to have. The second thing is uh, what, I'm, and this is something that doesn't occur to people a lot. Uh, they just take the headphones, enable the do not disturb mode on their laptops or whatever they're working on, and think that's it. Visual noise is what something a lot of people do not account for. When you're sitting in a cafe, they tend to go right to the back of the cafe because they don't want to sit up front. And but what they're doing there is when you're sitting at the back of a cafe and you're sitting facing the rest of the cafe, you have the whole view of the cafe in front of you. And that's a lot of people moving about. Hmm. So when that happens um, and you're looking at your laptop, obviously your laptop takes up maybe 80% of your field of view, but you know, you've got a pretty wide field of view. And when you have people walking about, even if it's for a second or someone gets up from a chair or something, your natural instinct is to look up, even if it's for a fraction of a second, and when you do that, 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 that's obviously a distraction. And then you have to like look back at your work. And sometimes when you're working on something really focused, it takes a few minutes for you to reorient yourself. So that's what you do not want. So mm. what I try to do is if there's a seat available at the back of the cafe, I'm going to go right to the back and I'm going to sit, try and move the table if I can, or the chair and sit facing a wall. Make sure that there's like, and I try to get as close to the wall as I can like minimize that chance of someone walking to, you know, my peripheral vision on the sides. And with that, and this becomes slightly, it may be overkill for some people, but if you're sitting at the back and there's a wall, but if there's a light source behind you, uh, shadows can also be distracting. Try to keep the light source from in front of you. Even if you can face a window, if you're in a high rise building and you can just see a building outside, that's still better. So basically what you want is you don't want, too many things moving in your field of view. You want to keep that pretty much static. And that goes a long way, especially when you're doing focused work, because those tiny distractions add up over time. So something that you can probably would have done in a quiet environment in, let's say, 45 minutes would maybe take you two hours. And that's what you want to minimize. It compounds over time. Yeah, the I mean, the visual, visual part, part is interesting, interesting because I actually have actually to say that I have not paid, paid that much attention to it. Um, I generally like to really often work with a view, with a view of, for example, sitting in a high-rise building where you can sort of look out into a, into a city view, for example, or into some kind of landscape. But it's everything is too far away to really focus on it. And I consider that some kind of almost like visual white noise and I don't really, I, right now I work against a wall, but I prefer if I can to work with a view. I feel like it's actually stimulating for creativity. Uh, that's why I, I make a reference to a visual uh, white noise. And then when it comes to the audio part, I pretty much always wear my noise cancelling headphones, even if I'm in a already quiet environment like inside there's not really a lot of noise going on yeah pretty much same i still very often will put my almost all the time actually had um headphones on my i got two really good pairs of anc headphones and they just eliminate even that tiny little bit of noise and they create a feeling of enclosure and, and really putting myself into a very specific zone so I really, really like um, yeah that advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and speaking of auditory white noise, when you work, what kind of music or yeah, audio in general do you like to listen to? Do you like white noise, brown noise, uh, classical music, you know, hip hop, rock, or some kind of brain brain FM um, binaural beats? Like, what do you what do you like? Okay, yeah. Uh... Definitely. So, so that thing for me varies by what kind of work I'm doing. So if it's like research-based work, uh, binaural beats are great. Uh, and uh, I've not, not really gotten into the, you know, the, the biological, let's say, aspect of it, like how they affect your brain waves and how it actually helps you focus. I'm, I'm pretty sure it does. Uh, but it's just soothing for me and helps me concentrate when I'm doing like research-based work and helps me retain like context for much longer than I would if there was because audio as a way of like you know if you're listening to something and you're like doing research or reading something listening to that audio again does help to remind you uh it's the same thing with smell uh hmm. that kind of goes beyond the scope of this but because uh, i guess uh i was reading uh somewhere that your olfactory uh 
sensors like the part of your brain that uh, processes that is very close to the part that uh, stores memory. So that's why certain smells can trigger uh, certain memories. That that could be great for like revising if you're a student. But yeah, uh, I did digress. Uh, what we can is uh, like, okay, when it comes to, yeah, so like, like, like I said, when it comes to research stuff, mm -hmm. binaural beats, when I'm doing really focused engineering and I know what I want, like I'm just in a good flow state right. and I don't have to think a lot. I'm just have yeah. to execute. I like uh, electronic music, like something with a repetitive beat that's just going uh, trance music, but with a higher uh, beat per minute uh, kind of thing, like not, not the slow kind of trance music. So electronic music uh, is great for that. Uh, I try to stay away from music with lyrics because they tend to be distracting for me. Uh, other than that, um, music is good. Sometimes, you know, if, if the mood is right, um, might even listen to some Beethoven or you know, Mozart, uh, something like that. Uh, old school in, in that regard. I think regarding your last point, yeah, I actually read a, a paper two weeks ago that in that study, like, Music with lyrics lost out by a lot uh, when it came to concentration ability against music that didn't have any. So I would probably really like make a recommendation to refrain from any kind of uh, music with lyrics. I could see there being one exception if you have one song that you've listened to over and over and over again that you just keep on repeat. I could imagine that at that point, uh, the, the, better, the, the drawbacks of you paying attention to the lyrics disappear because you see them as just uh, a part of the background that's interesting because for me it would be like if it's a song that i've listened to over and over i would tend to sing along to the lyrics and that would be a distraction for me so i would try, try to uh, i guess that's interesting for uh, different people that's definitely yeah i think it's generally better to not have any lyrics but if you had to have lyrics then i would assume um, or well, I, I guess I would. The way I simulate it, it, it would be easier to um, not pay attention to lyrics if it's something that you're not constant. Like, if it's a new song that you you know just listening for the first time, I think you're probably more likely to want to pay close attention. And actually, uh, adding to that point, uh, one uh, one last thing that I'd like to add here is an interesting thing when it comes to lyrics is. I like listening to songs with lyrics in other languages, but I do not understand. So there's one German band, uh, Rammstein, uh, the very hard metal kind of rock music. That helps. Okay. It makes you write very aggressive code. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true, actually. When I have to like fix something and it's like broken and like, I have to really get to it, that helps. Okay, interesting. I'll uh, yeah, Rammstein as a productivity uh, tool. Um, I mean, they're it's not those fans, you know. They're like way bigger everywhere else, but Germany. They're pretty big in Germany, but they seem to be like way more popular and 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 well known outside of Germany than they are um, within Germany. Um, okay, so there there seem to be there's. With with both the the two factors that we just had, like you know, visual noise and and, and uh, audio noise, it's as a first step is trying to reduce the amount that can even reach you. So this would be noise canceling headphones in the first place. Yep, and this definitely. would be um, changing just like how you sit. I mean, that's the nice thing about like visually, like if you just turn your head you basically eliminated whatever it was on the other side on the of your visual field like you can it's much easier to get into a visually quiet zone than to get into a sound quiet zone that's very true because your your field of view is somewhat limited to very few people have like a perfect 180 um you have perfect peripheral vision uh, that that's something you can trained for that may be a drawback when you're trying to focus it's probably better if you have like default blinders on the side uh so that you don't get distracted so maybe that's the next the next you know tool you get like a special pair of glasses with blinders 
<laughs> they sound like ho- horses from like the 16th century. You know, that's what they, when they had horses exactly. in training, they would put those on to make sure they don't get distracted. Um, that's definitely something. <laughs> okay. Well, if if nothing else works, then then this is our final recommendation: the the um, the blinder um, glasses. Okay, so let's say we have dealt with um, with that, uh, and, and there are you know number of different further tech tools that will try to reduce the amount of, of sound that reaches you. Let's say we've done all of that; we are uh, as good um, dialed in there as we can. The second or the third definition of of noise could also be that you just have a lot of things going on. For example, you have multiple urgent projects that have to get shipped, and and you you know you're, you're you're keeping a lot of really important systems for us working in the background, and um, it's hard to prioritize like which one of those. I mean, they're all none of them can break. They all have to get done. They all have to like see the um, the work completed. I definitely know the feeling of when I have many different uh, things to work on that all in my mind have roughly the same priority. I will regularly work on something and have the have facts and realizations and uh, deadlines and, and, and uh, commitments of the other projects pop into my mind constantly as I try to work on this other project, which isn't helpful. Um, and, um, you mentioned to me that you have some you have some routines and some rituals to deal with that when you have to work on a project when you have to ship something um yeah can you can you let me know what exactly you how do you approach this okay yeah yeah uh, absolutely so uh like you mentioned like i'm working on a lot of backend systems and the thing with backend systems is they are the error margins there tend to be a lot slimmer than with front-end systems. Like let's say I'm working on the payments and authentication system. They're two separate systems. And like, obviously if, if you mess up the code in the payment system, then uh, you don't want to end up overbilling customers. Um, and obviously with the authentication, that's a privacy matter. You don't want to expose passwords and stuff. So those are two systems that are, their margin is low. You need your full concentration when working on their upgrades and working on them, making sure that they do not break. And more often than not, these updates or, you know, these systems that I'm, I have to work on tend to fall within the same timeline. So now I have to prioritize. And the thing is, what happens here is like, if you're working on one, if you're very good at being able to focus, you may end up lying to yourself. Like I have pushed the, you know, the other tasks at the back of my head and I'm just work, focusing on this right now. Uh, but keeping that internal does have detrimental effects on your focus because obviously when you're working on, let's say I'm going to use payments and authentication as uh, an example here, they will share some, like some of their subtasks would share some similarities. Like some things would be adjacent to the other. So when you're working on, let's say the payment mm-hmm. system, one of the subtasks is very similar to a problem that you're facing with the authentication system. You may by default start thinking about the authentication system, like, hey, now, uh, yeah, I could do this with that. And that has now distracted you from the task at hand that you're working on. So what I try to do is not keep those tasks internal. Like, I have a whiteboard next to my workspace, and I have, like, an Eisenhower matrix thing sort of drawn on it. So when I have, like, I have tasks come up, I prioritize based on the Eisenhower matrix, and whatever is, like, urgent, important goes first. And right next to it, I have, like, for the second task, that I want to like push to the back of my head. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take 30 minutes or maybe even an hour if it's a big task and get down as much context as I can for the second project that I have to work on later, like out of my head and onto that whiteboard. So now when you write it down, it sort of has this uh, you know effect on me. I'm not sure if it's going to apply to everyone, but you should definitely try it. Is when you write it down, you sort of like, not copying it from your brain onto that whiteboard, but sort of like, it's like a cut and paste. So now it's out of your head and you sort of visualize like it's going out. Now it's there. It's mm. going to stay there. You tell yourself, and I'm going to work on this thing. 
what I'm uh, focusing on right now. So when you do that, when you get it out, it's there. You work on the first task first. This thing's uh, you know out out of your not occupying uh, any of your mental bandwidth. And then when you're done with that, you shift to the second one. So that's um, that seems a bit like the you know getting rid of open loops, mental open loops. You're like um, yeah, exactly, exactly. You're not using your mind or your working memory to keep stuff that needs to be remembered, needs to be... Yeah, exactly. The working memory example is good. Yeah, you don't want to keep it loaded in your RAM. You want to offload it to uh, more of a cache in storage. Yeah, you even mentioned something where when you do have like a really... You know, we just, at the beginning of the year, you were a big part of shipping um, last resolution standing, which was, was, was our last uh, tool that we shipped got you know really nice reviews was like a, a very cool development process you know from idea to getting this into the hands of, of people only uh, like less than a week or so um, pass and then you did a bunch of other things where they were happening at the same time we're running a, a pentathlon at the beginning of January or middle of January when you do when you work on a project like that where you have to do a lot of deep work in a short amount of time you said you had like a bit of a of a ritual at the beginning to um, get yourself into that zone can you tell me more about that okay yeah so so what i do there is uh, and this was actually an interesting project uh, last resolution standing because i was traveling when it came up and what i had to do was like i was traveling to a different city i was in a very unfamiliar environment because i had not been in that city before and i was staying there for a while and And this thing got dropped on me, like, not exactly last minute, but the timeline on this was, like, this needs to ship before the 1st of January, and I was, like, going to that, the, the other city for New Year's. So it was, like, mm. one or two days, and I needed to really focus. So initially, like, the default for people is, like, oh, what am I, what am I going to do? You, you tend to obviously panic. And <clears throat> if you're the sort of person, like, I feel like, who tends to panic, that that's your default, I would say instead of just trying to suppress it, which may Is pop it, up later, if you're the kind of person who panics, right. set aside 15, 20 minutes first to get that nervous energy out of your system. I know initially it sounds kind of uh, kind of productive, like why are you letting that person freak out? Let it out of your system. If, you you almost schedule some time to panic. Is that, is that the advice? <laughs> like you, <laughs> yeah, uh, you, uh, you, you can put it like that. Like obviously, I, I uh, do not. Uh, like I, I used to like uh, over a period of time. I tend, I got that out. But when you have something like last minute dropped on you, you tend to panic. Get that. But what you're trying to do is not get that panic. Like let that panic take over your whole development process, and then you tend to make more mistakes. But Let it let that nervous energy, it's like all that nervous energy that piles up inside you. Know, what am I going to do? Let that out of you in any way that you can. Everyone has a different process. Let that out, and then you're like, okay, that's done. Now I have to now I have to get this done. And more often than not, not keeping that nervous energy in is going to really help you focus down the way and get actually shape even faster. Mm. But you have to really mentally set that time aside at the start. I'm going to be done with it now at this time. And I'm not going to think about it again. Yeah. I'm trying to think where I, in which context. Yeah, I think it's in a very similar context. I read a couple of books lately on um, generally dealing with the, the, the topic of attention. And uh, there was a technique in there that actually applies to uh, a bunch of different areas. For example, um, the feeling of appetite or hunger The feeling of, I think in your case, this, this feeling of um, potentially overwhelmed when you really feel like, oh man, is this, this is a big project that I have to ship. And you haven't, oft, when you actually haven't had the time to break it down into all of its little parts, you don't have the lay of the land. You don't know exactly like what are all of the subtasks, what is, this, what is stuff that I am not seeing currently that will come up and might be a pain. Um, to get done so sort of when there is a lot of ambiguity then the, this reaction is fairly um, almost emotional emotion based like it's just a a feeling of 
of uncertainty and the feeling of um, potentially overwhelming this in the face of all of this work and maybe just a feeling of uh, unpleasantness just like we had um, a show a couple couple of weeks ago about a challenge state and threat state and i think the uh, i don't know this this concept of a threat state here applies you're not sure if the work that you have to do actually can get done in the time that you have and you you really need to to think your way through it um, one of the techniques that I that I read about is, and I think that's what you're recommending here, to stay almost with that initial feeling, to not let it push it away, but to almost amplify it and really give yourself some time to just feel this, I guess, I don't know how we want to describe it, nervous energy or... This, this feeling of, uh, like, obviously using the word panic has... Uh negative connotations you're not exactly panicking but you're allowing yourself to feel that okay this may seem over and then you reason with yourself like if, if this only applies to the kind of person who panics and at the start uh give yourself time to like process that uh, those emotions and sort of reason with yourself okay i'm panicking and just get drilled down to the the reason of why you exactly panic okay I'm pan panicking because i don't have enough time okay why do i think i do not like you know it's the the five whys, uh, so to speak, you, you get to the root cause of why exactly you're panicking. When you allow yourself to panic and allow yourself to bring those emotions to the forefront, you can reason through them and sort of, you know, figure out why you're exactly panicking. And then you can begin to like account for, okay, so I'm panicking because of time and I need to ship this many features. Okay, what's the minimum, like the minimal viable product here that needs to get done? And what are the features that they are? Okay. And then you break it down to subroutines and then that just makes it easier for you to start executing. Also then, because you've like streamlined the whole process, this is less noise going down the road for you because that feeling of panic will come up as noise later on. That's internal noise. So, Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's actually a non-trivial skill to stay cool under pressure and it's a non-atypical reaction to get a little bit frantic when we get under time pressure, when there is a lot of um, things on our plate. I mean, one of the, I think, biggest things that I see in special forces training is, first of all, they also obviously select people that have maybe an innate ability to stay cool under pressure, but then they especially train them extensively to you know, be able under really, really intensive situations to maintain cool, um, clearly communicate with each other, prioritize and then execute. I find it kind of interesting that becoming slightly frantic when there is a lot of on our plate is such a typical reaction because it's actually counterproductive. We know that things are tight, so we want to make a we want to make sure that we actually reach our targets, but by becoming um, somewhat um, yeah, you know, hectic, frantic, that's actually counterproductive. So when things are really, really tight, that's when we need to be really, really ice cold, more or less, and um, just focus on the mission at hand. And that is a non-trivial skill that we need to build up. Absolutely. And, and that's very true, because uh, when you have that sort of feeling with you, uh, and you're not accounting for it, like I said before, uh, then you're allowing that to, you know, sort of sort of bleed into when you're actually focusing on your work. It's like when you're working, you're like, you know, it's almost like when you're actually doing the work, you're like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do it. And those negative emotions are going to be extremely detrimental to the way you're working. Um, and that's why like, when you have like, uh, like you mentioned, special forces, uh, uh, if some of our listeners hunt, or if anyone's into motorcycle riding, like like I am, you tend to face situations uh, while you're, let's say, with motorcycle riding, with hunting, where it's not an ideal situation. You have like a target, let's say, using hunting as an example. Uh, you have a, your target in front of you that's, uh, that you have to get, like it's a deer or whatever. And you have a moment to like, you know, get to make the shot but you're, you're crouching 
the conditions might not be ideal. The last time I've been hunting, it was snowing. So there's a lot of uh, noise coming from even within your body, your legs, when they're stuck in the position, the crouching position, they're screaming, they're like, you know, move or, you know, your your fingers are probably frozen on the trigger. It's very cold if you're in that environment. So you have to sort of push that all away and focus on that one thing that's going to allow you to make that 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 shot. Because, you know, if you give into this other, uh, these other, uh, you know, noisy uh, signals coming from your body, you're going to miss that shot and then you're going to start all over again. So to, ha- to get that thing over with, you have to ignore everything else and focus on that one thing, which is your breathing. So you can slow that down and make that shot. Same thing with motorcycle riding. When you're riding, when you're canyon riding and you're going pretty fast, uh, and obviously this is not a track, it's canyon riding. So there are sharp corners. Uh, and sometimes you'll encounter a tiny rock in, in the middle of the road. And that's extremely dangerous when you're on a bike, because if that gets under your tires, you're going to slip and you're going to fall. And if you're canyon riding, you may fall off the edge, edge of a cliff. It's pretty dangerous. So you need to make a split second decision there. When you see that rock, your first instinct is, you know, oh crap, there's that rock, I might slip. Like you need to push that away immediately because when you're panicking and thinking about that rock at that moment, you're actually approaching that rock really fast and you are going to slip if your tires go over it. So you need to push that away. And the first thing that that should go to your head is, okay, which path now should I take? Should I take the inside route? Should I slow down, take the inside route? Or should I slowly speed up and take the outside, like from the outside of, uh, like, if you're taking a right turn, should I take uh, slightly left of the rock or right of the rock? Right would be in, left would be out. So you need to make these decisions really quick, when at the same time the rock's approaching and your instinct is to panic. So this is the, like, these are the kind of mental models that I've built from motorcycling, hunting, uh, over the years to ignore these, uh, the instinctual reaction from your, that that is a you know result of the environment or coming from within your body to just ignore the instinctual reaction and just focus on the problem that's ahead of you and let everything else fade away. Because if you don't do that, then that problem is going to, as you get closer to the problem, it's going to amplify and then you're going to panic more and more. So if you don't account for it early on, panic at the last stage is going to be way higher. It's going to you know uh, drown out all the everything else and you'll end up crashing or crashing and burning metaphorically and if you're motorcycling uh, quite literally yeah it's interesting almost a little bit strange for me that the initial response the not uncommon response to react to situations that feel overwhelming with some kind of getting flustered becoming a little bit too hectic jumping between different threats versus at least slowing it down enough to where you can get a good overview over the whole situation, really grasp the whole picture, see what's going on, make a really, really good plan and then execute that plan very calmly until the very end. Um, that that is yeah, such a rare trait, almost you know, seems that evolution should have prepared us to be really, really good in these kind of situations. But it seems it takes some practice. But getting hectic, getting flustered is almost guaranteed not the right response, which is really yeah, really interesting because it's so natural. Oh, things are getting hectic. I want to be able to to do everything. You can you know see people maybe in the last couple of minutes before like they're getting... I need to catch a flight, need to, you know, finish packing your suitcase. Very simple example. And um, it becomes a scramble versus doing this in a, you know, just very systematic manner. Doing it in a non-systematic manner is just almost never going to help you. Becoming hectic, running around, not, you know, following a certain script just doesn't get the job done quite as well. And so uh, I think... Let's say there is a wall, um, let's say there is a deadline, we can picture that as a wall, and we're driving towards that deadline. Even if we know we're potentially hitting the deadline, and we're hitting the wall, we still want to, until the very last moment, still stay extremely cool internally, and um, knowing that 
even though it feels weird to be um, you know very very close to failing it's still beneficial to be that in in this state of, of calmness because that's actually what gets the job done um, with the highest percentage um, outcome absolutely and also this feeling this internal noise that comes from that feeling of panic if you don't account for it early on and push it you know account for it and you know get rid of it it's going to amplify over time as you get closer to the deadline so like an hour before the deadline that feeling may take over everything else so you know this is uh like i've uh, talked to some of my friends this happens during exams they take they're so worried about uh you know this one you know one question or one problem uh, in the exam that they spend the rest of the exam they, they skip that spend the rest of the exam focusing on that one thing which you know, makes all the other, their solutions to all the other problems worse. And as they get closer to the end time of the exam, they start panicking. And now that feeling of right. panic, because you haven't accounted for it early on, you've not, you know, taken that five minutes or, you know, the time at the start to account for it. It amplifies to the point where you can't do anything. Your, your, your hands are shaking. And obviously uh, this, happen, uh, this won't happen to everyone. It's not the default, but it happens to some people. They get extremely nervous and you tend to forget what you already know at that state, because when you're panicking, because that's taken over all your mental faculties, and now you're just like a, a nervous wreck because you didn't take that time initially. Like, okay, I don't know this one thing, but I do know the rest. Let's get rid of this. I'll come back to it later. Uh, a lot of people naturally tend not right. to do that, and right. uh, that becomes a problem later on when shipping projects, when coming up with real world situations, uh, and people, as you know, I think the term that is used a lot is people tend to freeze like hmm. a, a deer in the headlights. Like, you know, you're just like, oh, what do I do? Uh, you, you, you don't want that. Uh, so. Yeah. It seems that in these kind of situations, when you're really under pressure, especially time pressure uh, to get something done, it seems there are basically two kinds of responses to this. There is the frantic and, and hectic, and chaotic response. Um, people, as we discussed before, panic a little bit. And then there is the calm, cool and collected response that often takes a bit of practice, maybe comes natural for some people, but is actually in, 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 in all regards, the uh, superior response. Here's a story that uh, really has set itself into my mind. I'll most likely remember this until the rest of my days. Um, I was in my last, um, and, and it illustrates a little bit like, you know, these two kinds of responses. I was in my last uh, couple of semesters in university. Um, I was um, writing this exam. Can't remember the exact uh, class I was for, but basically uh, it was mostly a multiple choice test. I think the time that it was given for this test was at least an hour. I think it was more closer to one and a half or two hours. So it was fairly uh, extended exam. You had to really study a lot of, you know, rote memorization actually for this kind of stuff. And um, so I would usually come quite a bit earlier to, um, you know, to get myself in the, in the zone. So I would, if the exam started at 11 um, a.m., I would, you know, maybe come at 10 and just, get myself into the right mindset. So I had written down this, this, this class begins at 11. And I think I arrived at, you know, maybe um, like 945. So over an hour early. And I sit down in front of the place where the exam is supposed to take place. And I sit and I you know, go over my notes and I just pass the time. And time passes and it's now 10. Um, then eventually it's 10. 15 I'm like huh it's kind of weird usually people start rolling up around this time and it's 10 30 I'm like what is going on okay um at 20 minutes before 11 uh someone like like a student walks by and I ask him hey man are you also in here and writing this exam and he's like no I'm not but my friend is and he's already been in there for like <laughs> over an hour hour and a half and I'm like, 
I don't know. Like I, I, I can't remember the exact moments, the exact uh, thoughts I had in that first moment. But I basically had to make a choice uh, to either get in there and, and write this exam with 20 minutes on the clock or, uh, I don't know, like cancel, get a doctor to write me a doctor's note or something along those lines. And I made the decision that I would try to write this exam with, um, you know, 20 minutes instead of two hours on the clock. So I went in there, you know, walk up, grab a sheet of paper. They probably look at me funny. Um, I sit down like in the first moment and now I'm in a situation where basically I have to complete this whole test in 20 minutes. The time pressure is on. But in that moment, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't become hectic. I didn't become frantic. I just became very, very uh, focused, uh, like, like tunnel vision almost. And um, I think it took me 15 minutes to do sort of the first pass of this test. And after 15 minutes, I, I closed like the last page and I knew that I had passed wow. this exam. I, I was sure that, okay, this is enough to uh, having passed. And I think I actually did like, you know, a reasonably good grade and especially given the time. So that's like one of the things that uh, really stood out. And uh, yeah, when things went right in terms of getting myself into the right uh, headspace. And maybe the decision was actually, you know, taking off my hands because there really was only one way to react. Um, the other more frantic way wouldn't have been able to get the job done. So I just automatically went into the right mode to, to get it done. And uh, it was also interesting because very often these type of tests, you will often second guess your first response. I read a study that when students correct their answers more often than not, that's actually beneficial. So it's often beneficial to rethink an answer and then, you know, go with whatever you think is correct. On average, you'll do better. But it's also <laughs> mentally tormenting in many cases. And uh, I didn't have any time for that. There was no, uh, you know, changing of any answers. I really only had time to do a single solid pass. That's what I did. And um, yeah, it was kind of an interesting experience from that perspective as well. Did you like walk out of there like Superman with like, you know, you step out of the hole with like your arms on your sides, like, you know, in, in that Superman power pose? <laughs> I certainly felt like I had just completed a pretty impressive feat, uh, you know, kind of like running the four minute mile. You know, I definitely felt pretty good about, my, about myself, especially with the, you know, emo emotional turmoil. Like I went from being, oh man, I'm majorly messed this up like you know i got the time wrong on this on the on the exam i mean that's so silly and i went from that to oh my i have to re, you know repeat the exam next year to hey i just absolutely crushed this so it was pretty cool yeah but, but, but that's pretty great and you, and then you see like you didn't spend that initial time thinking like oh why did i like focusing on the wrong thing why did i mark the wrong time because if you had done that that would have been then at the back of your head constantly like, okay, like as you're writing the paper, you forget one detail. You're like, why did I forget the time? It's not even relevant at that, at that point. And because you were able to focus on that thing, you, you got that out where, you know, I would not say most people say uh, a lot of people uh, would tend to just, uh, even if they go in, they'd, they'd freeze and that that's the last thing you want. So your, your default was not to panic, which, which was great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say I would have I have both in me. I can both get frantic in a certain situation. I've definitely done that, but I've also been in, you know, kind of emergency or crisis situations where I've reacted really well. Um, you know, looking back, and in this situation, I just I don't know, I didn't panic, didn't even occur to me to panic. I guess there was like only one way, so. Uh, really happy it, it played out that way it was also like an interesting um, you know reference experience but uh, yeah could have gone the other way i guess as well like i've definitely also had situations where i did get flustered in that moment and um, comes hopefully with a bit of practice over time uh, to get better at reacting the right way and actually that uh, there's one thing i wanted to ask there is like uh, 
speaking of the, the uh, speaking of the biochemistry here, like when you when you tend to be in these situations, you tend to get that adrenaline pumping through your system. And adrenaline, like uh, I've read some stuff on it, I think you you would be a better better authority on on this. Is that adrenaline for some people tends to make them erratic and all over the place, but for some people it's like really gets them dialed in, really focused. Uh, I've read this somewhere, like I, I don't know if it was um, probably misquoting Bill Gates or someone. Is like they tend to during the university they tend to leave assignments and finish them, like you know when it, things went right down to the wire because it help them focus and get better results. So that was probably similar to what you had, like, you know, get that relative boost at the end to do that really focused work. But how does it work, like, in terms of biochemistry in your system when you get the adrenaline pumping through? Yeah, I would really have to look that up. I don't know exactly um, if there is a difference, if, if adrenaline makes some people, um, you know, physiologically collected some people physiologically frantic if there's really a difference in that setting um, i know that adrenaline from a physiological perspective at least in terms of um, your physical ability is supposed to allow you to tap into basically all of your energy reserves it really mobilizes energy reserves that's why you know when you're in a fight or flight situation you release adrenaline to then be able to run away from the tiger at full speed. Um, when it comes to adrenaline in high pressure situations, so I know, for example, with fighters, there is the concept of a adrenaline dump when, you know, fighters that maybe have a very big fight, a situation they haven't been in, maybe like a world title fight or first time and they're getting into a big promotion. What will happen often is that they get this thing called adrenaline dump where in the first round they release all of this nervous energy I guess this is maybe my best understanding of how to describe it um, and often it will make them potentially tense up and also really exert a lot of additional energy by being slightly too hectic slightly too tense and often they will gas out much quicker than they otherwise would have and uh, yeah, that's not really beneficial for a fighter. And then maybe another example would be with um, free climbing, like free soloing, Alex Honnold, you know, super um, extreme climber that does all of these crazy, I mean, at least from the non-climber's perspective, uh, free solo tours. He, he free soloed El Capitan, uh, the free rider route a couple of years ago. And he says... He does not want any, like if you feel the adrenaline in his sport, something has gone massively wrong. He wants this to be a surgical precision event, uh, focused, determina determinated, um, and uh, absolutely no you know, feeling of, yeah, of, of a rush or overly excitement. Oh, interesting. So we're very similar to special forces uh, on missions, like they're not excited. It's just a mission. Get it done. All right. So um, let me quickly recap what we discussed today. Um, so we talked about uh, there being basically two sources of noise in, in your work. There is external and, and internal sources. External being mostly uh, things that come into your visual field or um, auditory noise, just, you know, constructions and office noises and you know environmental noise and um, then there is uh, internal noise and that's mostly stuff that's coming up through the nature of our work uh, pressure from deadlines from you know multiple uh, or many responsibilities from having to juggle different threats in your work and um, yeah for the external there is there are tools, there are fairly simple ways to, you know, position yourself and finding a, a, like the right location to work from. And for the internal distractions, there's a almost like an, like an internal mental toolkit that can help you with, help you to deal with those. Um, one of them being that when you uh, experience this initial, you know, feeling of, we call it panic, you might call it overwhelm, just, uh, you know, stress. Um, to not 
push that away, but you almost uh, stay with it for a little bit. And get, get to the root of it, basically, yeah. Get, get to the root of why you're feeling that way and what are the accounting, like what's, what's uh, contributing towards that feeling and accounting for that. And you mentioned something like uh, mindfulness meditation. Is that the part or is that the stage where you would bring that in? Yeah, I think that the mindfulness meditation part for me would be at the, the start. Like when I'm just like sort of, you know, uh, to use the cliche term, like centering myself. Because like, whenever you sit down to do something, you're always coming from something else. So you need to get the residual stuff for that out of your system before you start on this. So that's what they read the 15 minutes of mindfulness meditation come in. They help you orient and focus yourself. At least that works for me. And and it's great. Like I've I've even tracked the results. Like when I don't do that when coming in from something else. Uh eight out like not exactly nine, but seven or eight out of times, I tend to go longer than the estimate on projects by maybe one or two cycles and a cycle would be like 30 minutes. Okay. And so when do you do this? Do you do this at the beginning of each workday? Do you do this uh, between, you know, cycles? Do you do this when you switch between different uh, types of work? So it's, it's usually when switching from, uh, from switching from project A to project B, especially if they're big projects or not even just projects. When I'm coming from doing something, else, let's say I'm coming back from the gym and I've just sat down to do work. I'm going to spend 15 minutes first to like, focus myself and get the residual stuff from the gym out of my system and then then start focusing on my work and uh, would you do this even multiple times a day or just usually you know just just once can this happen multiple times so on average like uh and it obviously it's uh it depends on if you feel like you have some like some of my work is like very adjacent to the next thing that I'm working on. So then I don't need to because the context sort of bleeds over from one project to the other. But when it's like a drastic uh, context, like, you know, it's a drastic shift in context, then I try to do do that. And sometimes, some days, tend to have to do that two or three times a day, especially when there's a lot of uh, internal noise uh, happening due to the personal reasons, work-related or whatever not. Uh, that just helps me sort of recharge internally to start doing focus work. Hmm. That seems like something potentially really interesting. Um, I will be switching contacts after this podcast, so I'll have a good chance to uh, give this a shot and try it out. Um, is there anything that we have missed, Saad, or did we cover most of it? I think we pretty much, uh, the recap pretty much covered uh, the gist of uh, what we talked about. I know that the later part of the podcast, we focused more on the internal noise, which is the feeling of panic or the feeling of overwhelm would be a better term than panic. And it tends to have negative connotations. Uh, I think we, we, we got it all. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you very much, Sad. This was great. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This was great. It was uh, actually my first experience recording a podcast. So uh, that was great. Uh, definitely looking forward to doing more of these uh, over time. All right. 